My beloved Orangewood, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as we continue our series together of Here is the Church. It's amazing what God's Word has for us as we examine it. We realize, well, what is the church? Or more importantly, who is the church? We say, here is the church. Well, you ready for this? It's, it's us. It's you. It's me. I mean, we are the church. Uh, according to God's word, we are those, if by God's grace we're his, and specifically, we're those who've been called out of darkness, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what, what does that mean? What basically is this, is the church has been called out of your sin, called out of futility. I mean, called out of anything that doesn't bring life or calling you to, causing you to flourish. God has called you out of that. God has called you to something bigger than that. It's the church. You've been called out. But there's more. You've been called in. I mean, what you've been called into is you've been called into a living relationship with a God who is. I mean, you've been called in to, to be his beloved, to be a part of his family, to be what he calls his bride. Uh, this week, I had the privilege of uh, doing a couple of marriage counseling uh, seminars ready to prepare for upcoming uh, ceremonies. I love doing that. One of the things we get to is the coming out down of the bride when the bride appears. And I always say when the doors open and there's the bride, I always cry. I mean, I always get tears in my eyes. Why? Because the bride is beautiful? Well, most times, but it's more than that. More than that. It's because that is the picture of how God sees us. He has called us out and he has called us in. And he has robed us with his righteousness. And we are cleansed with his blood. And we are radiant. And we are beautiful in his sight. It's incredible. That's you. That's me. That's the way he sees us. Don't forget that, the church. Well, he not only calls us out, he, he calls us in and he calls us in. He, he makes us beautiful, but then he does more. He sends us out because the church is his primary vehicle that he is using to advance his kingdom. I mean, it's the church that he has decided to share the glory of God with and say, God, now go and fill the earth with my glory. It's through us. And it's this church that we have the privilege of being a part of. And what's even more glorious is the head of the church is Jesus Christ himself. I mean, he, he is our head. And it says that we are his body, that we are connected to him. And what joy is that? And because of this connection to Jesus, we should have a family resemblance. Because he's our head, we should be like him as his body. I have the joy of being a part of the Maitland Fire and Police Department family. I have a small part, but they have given me the privilege of being a chaplain. And so I have the privilege of being called on for family matters. Most of the times I get calls, mostly they're because of a a very bad situation they're in. And most of my ministry is not to those they're ministering to, it's to them. and, And all of the blood and the gore and the agony and the death that they have seen. And what a privilege it is to come alongside them. And, and when there's certain events, they also call me. And, and recently we had a 9-11 event uh, at the Maitland Fire Department. And on the exact moment where uh, that mayhem began, uh, they, we gathered at the flag and they asked me to take part. 
I got to tell you the truth. I thought I was just showing up to like be a part. I was actually the program, you know? And so, uh, but I, I showed up and I, I had on, well, they gave me this really nice shirt. It's a pullover polo. It says Chaplain J. Jakes on it. It has an American flag, uh, Maitland PD and fire department. And it's, it's an awesome shirt. And, and I had the privilege of just uh, leading them in prayer on that 9-11 uh, memorial time. And, and after that, I got an interesting email from the chief. The chief told me that, that they wanted, that she wanted to provide a uniform for me. That, that they wanted me in uniform. And so, you know, true to my character, I, I sent back an email saying, uh, Chief, do you know how handsome I'm going to be to my wife in uniform? <laughs> And, and, like, and I said, do we have enough tax dollars to cover the uh, material that I'm going to need to have to be in uniform? And it was interesting. She says, you're, you're a part of the family. And you're a part of the family, and we want to honor you as part of the family. We, we want you to know that you are a part of the family. We want, and here's me uh, uh, trying on, even with a hat, you know. And when I tried it on, uh, this is Deputy Chief Watts who went with me. He laughed at me. I mean, I put that on. It was immediately uh, a laughter. But it's an incredible privilege for me to be identified with the family. And they wanted me to reflect who they were. Something so much more important about you and me in the church. The chief, Jesus, the head of the church, wants us to be in his uniform. He wants us to reflect who he is. Because we are a part of his family. I mean, he wants us to, to be like him. And he's not doing this in an egotistical, arrogant way. The greatest thing he could have for the body of Christ is for to be like the head of Christ. The more we are like Jesus, the more we live, the more we have joy, the more we have hope. And so he wants us to, to be like him. And the way he loves, guess what? We're to love. And the way he lives, we are to live. And the way he gives, And the way God gives, we are to give. I got such good news for you. The God who is, is a God who just can't stop giving. He gives and gives and gives. And then we think he can't give more. He gives more. He's so gracious. He is so giving. And he's called us, the church, to reflect that. To be generous as he is generous. Well, today we're going to talk about what does it look like for us as a church to be a giving body? What does it look like for us to give? And sometimes when I give you different points, the sequence of the points aren't very important. Sometimes, well, I could have started here. We could have gone to there. But this time, this message, the sequence of information that you're going to get is extremely important. It's probably as important as what you're going to hear. It's how you hear it. Because... The sequence of giving and love begins with God. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he didn't give a token. He gave everything that was most precious to him. He gave his only begotten son. God demonstrates a love for us. That while we were even sinners, still sinners, God gives. Not only does God the Father give, God the Son gives. And God the Son gives everything he has. He who is rich, Jesus. Jesus who is creator, sustainer, owner of all things. He would become poor. He would become man. So that through his poverty, we could become rich. What an amazing Savior who gives. So first and foremost, it's God. 
But not only is it important of sequence of who gives first, it's what we give. First and foremost, we're to give ourselves, our very selves to the head of the church. And then we're to give ourselves to the work of the church. And we're to give as Jesus gives. All right. When a pastor is going to talk about the church, and when a pastor is going to talk about giving and how we're to be a giving community of the church, all of Scripture is applicable. <laughs> because all of this is going to talk about a God who gives. And so where, where do you go? Where do you, where do you kind of focus in in the time we have to say, show us? Well, let me tell you where we're going to go. God led me to uh, just one church in the New Testament, the church in Corinth. We're going to look at two letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And specifically, we're going to look at a collection that they were taking. It's a specific collection for the saints in Jerusalem. There was a famine that came by, and persecution and famine was really damaging the church in Jerusalem. And so those around, like the churches in Corinth, were collecting and giving so that they could support their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So as we look at this one specific gift, at this one specific time, in this one specific church, we are going to find universal truths from God's word for you and for me. This was a letter written a long time ago, and it was a specific thing. But because God's Holy Spirit has inspired this, whoever you are, wherever you are, God wants to speak to you. And he wants to speak to you of how he gives and how amazing he gives through the work of his son and how we have the privilege of giving too. So we're going to begin in Paul's first letter that is recorded here in Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, the end of that letter, and just look at two verses. Then we'll t- continue his thought in the second letter, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Let's hear God's word for us this morning, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, or for those who were called out of darkness, the holy ones, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, interestingly, the new, the new Sabbath, the new worship time, and Jesus' resurrection, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, And store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. This had already have been done. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, or sorry, excuse me, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy, And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. And I can testify beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor or for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, look at the priority here, First to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us, or the work of the Lord. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he had what he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, 
but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now focus in on this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then lastly, chapter 9, verses 6 and 8 and 15. Paul writes, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And in verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the inexpressible gift of Jesus. And now I'm going to try to express it. No way. The only way, Father, that we could understand the depth of love you have for us and the way you have given to us and the way you have called us to now give back to you is if you are the teacher. If you would be pleased to come and speak through a broken sinner like me, that you would give us ears to hear the voice of Jesus that you would give us minds to understand the word of Jesus, that you would give us hearts that would embrace the love of Jesus so that we would walk out of here in a manner worthy of the name of Jesus. Father, only you could do that. The things that I say that are wrong, merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like our chief, our captain, our head, Jesus. And it's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And again, the priority of this is very important. And the first thing is this. We give ourselves first to the head of the church because he gave himself first to us. I know we read a lot of verses, and I know we had to ch- uh, switch back in a couple of books, books this morning. But did you hear what God's word said for you and me in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? Let me repeat this glorious passage to you. It says this. It says that God, that Jesus, he gave himself to us first. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, we might become rich. The question is this, how did Jesus give himself to us? How did he do it? He gave himself first. Let me tell you, he gave us everything. I mean, Scripture will say that, that uh, Philippians 2, that, that Jesus in the very nature, God, I mean, this is God eternal, this is God's Son, but he, he didn't hold on to that, but, but in love that he would empty himself of, of, of that. 
He would say, I will become a man, God in flesh. I will love you so much that, that I'll not only become a man, I'll become a servant. I will love you so much, I'll not just become a servant, I'll become a criminal on the cross for your sins. Jesus says, I'm going to love you so much, I will give you everything. He gave his very life. The Gospel of John, John 15, 3, Jesus tells his disciples this. There's, there's no greater love than this. Do you know it? There's no greater love than this, that, that I'm going to lay my life down for my friends. What did Jesus give to you and give to me? He gave his very life. He gave his blood. His blood, the blood of God that's powerful enough to wash away your darkest sin. He gave his righteousness, the righteousness of God's unique, only begotten son. He gave it to you. So when he sees you, he sees that beautiful bride. He gave it to you. What did Jesus give? He gave gave everything he earned as the only begotten son, the obedient son, the life that we were supposed to live. It says this is that in, in Ephesians 1, 3, that says, now in Christ Jesus, all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. I don't even know all that means. But here's what I do know what it means. Everything that Jesus, who came to earth and lived that obedient life, earned from the Father, all the fulfillment of the law, he says, it's now yours. I'm going to give it to you, all the spiritual blessings. And Jesus, he gives it to us freely, not grudgingly, eagerly. He's more eager to love you and forgive you than you are to sin. Isn't that incredible? He is so amazingly gracious. Romans 8, 32 says this, that, that God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him to us, will he not freely, will he not eagerly, in Christ Jesus, give you all things? There is a God who can't stop giving and we see him in the face of Jesus. He freely gives us all things. And Jesus, what did he give us? He gave us access to the Father, the loving Father. Jesus came and says, it's through me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no other way to see the Father. There's no other way home except through him. What did he give us? He gave us a family name. John 1.12 says to all of us who by God's grace believe, and believe on the name of Jesus. He gave us the right to become the children of God. And God's word will say, and that is what we are. Listen, he gave us family. He gave us adoption. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 6 will say, in the fullness of time, God would send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us. He might buy us back. So that in Christ Jesus, we might be adopted sons and daughters of the king. And because we're sons, we're joint heirs with Christ. And here's what it means. Everything that he owns is king of kings and lord of lords. He's not only brought us into the family, he lovingly gives to us as a part of the family. Does that stagger you? Does the reality of how God has given to you in Christ Jesus make you want to pause? Does it make you want to weep? Does it make you want to dance? Does it make you want to sing? Because if it doesn't, I think we've missed something. we got to start here with a God who gives, and he gives and gives and gives. He gave himself first for us. He gave us everything. He gave us his best. In church, our giving is always in response his giving. What must we give? Priority and sequence is important here too. 
we first and foremost give ourselves to the Lord. We give ourselves to the head of the church. As Jesus gave us all, not part, but all, we must give ourselves all to him. What does this mean? You don't come to Jesus and say, okay, God, I want you to, I want you to come into my life. I'm going to give you this part. <laughs> okay, Jesus, I want to come to you. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be savior of these parts. Okay, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life and Lord of my life. And kind of these areas are off limits. That's not the gospel. That's not the Bible. The Bible says when we come to him, we give him everything. We lay before him and say, I have no hope apart from you. Will you please take all of my sin, all of my shame? Will you please take that and nail that to the cross? Would you please take all of my hopes, all of my joy? Will you take my identity? Will you take my security? Will you be the reason I live? Will you take all of me so that I can have all of you? That's what we're to give him. What does he want from you? Everything. What has he given you? Everything. You see, we get so mixed up sometimes about how much do I give and what do I not give and what do I do and, and do I give this much and not give that much? You see, if those are the questions you're asking. If you're asking what is God requiring of me financially or, or monetarily or, or in service, you've completely missed the gospel. There's an exchange that's taken place that he says, I'm giving all because I want all. And you gave yourself, just like they did in Macedonia, first and foremost, give yourself to the Lord. And then you give yourself to the work of the Lord. The order is important here. We give ourselves and we give all of ourselves, not just a portion as he has given to us. Secondly, we give to the church because he first gave to the church. And we are the primary vehicle he's going to use to tell his story. And it's interesting that the church in Macedonia, they, they begged for the opportunity to share in what God was doing. It says in their extreme poverty, they had a wealth of generosity. Think about that. In extreme poverty, wealth of generosity. In their severe affliction, they had abundant joy. How do you do that? Is it drugs? Is it just living in la-la land? You know what it is? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's realizing I have something so much more that can never be touched. And I want to give to what Christ has done first and foremost and what he is doing through his church. You see, again, it begins with Jesus. Jesus gives the church gifts. He gives the church gifts with leaders and he gives each and every one of you gifts. Do you know that if you're his? You have been given gifts. Why? For his glory to use. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to one passage. And in time's sake, I'm just going to read one. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. It's an amazing little picture of how Jesus gives to us the church. And Ephesians 4, verse 7 says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and what it's going to do is going to quote something that sounds weird and ancient, but what it's quoting is Psalm 68, 13. And it says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay. And then he'll go on and explain what he gives to the church. He gives apostles, teachers, all the spirit to unify us, to make us um, uh, useful in his hand. But the interesting thing about this is this is an imagery of the Bible that we have to understand. When he says in Psalm 68, 13, that he led captives in his train and that he gave gifts to men, really what's interesting about this is this is a conquering king who comes to town. 
When a conquering king has gone off to battle and he comes back victorious, he comes with a train of people behind them. They're captives. And it says in this, in Psalm 68, it says, when that king comes, he receives gifts from men. Paul, in a very sneaky way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, this Jesus king, this one who leads the captive in his trains are his children who have been set free. And he doesn't receive gifts from them. He gives them. He says, everything I got, I'm going to give to you. Everything that I've earned in victory, I'm going to give to you. The the victory that's mine is going to be yours. And I'm going to give to you so that the church can be all that the church was made to be. So that we could tell his story for his glory. The bottom line of giving is this. God has never given you one thing that he doesn't expect you to invest and give back. Give back for his glory, use for his kingdom. That's how he builds his church. We are, it says in Ephesians 3.10, we are the church, the, the vehicle that God wants to proclaim his glory, his wisdom to this world. Are you giving to the church? Are you giving first and foremost to the Lord and then to the work of the Lord? And then lastly, we give as Christ gave to us and we give as God's word directs us. Can you imagine giving to the IRS what you thought was right? I would love it at the end of your tax return and say, you know what, I'm just going to give you this. I feel, like, I feel like this would be a good amount for the IRS taxes this year. Okay, good luck on that, and we'll come pre- see you in our prison ministry, right? It's not going to happen. I mean, the IRS is very specific of how much they want from you and what they want to get, and, and you're fighting like heck to keep what you can. In a much more loving way, God is going to prescribe to us how we're to give. He's going to tell us. His word tells us. And by the way, he wants it all. I mean, our whole lives. But there's some specific things that God's word tells us that will help us. And so in the last point, I'm going to go through some words that we could see from this passage. And I'm going to show you where this is, how Christ gave to us and how we are to give. All right, let's go through this quickly. First thing is this. We're to give systematically. According to 1 Corinthians 16, 12, it was the first day of each week. As you have income, as God has provided you, there should be a system into our giving back. And it should be uh, done systematically. Secondly, it should be intentionally. They put something aside in 1 Corinthians 16 too. They stored it up where your treasure is. It's the same kind of imagery. If you're here and you're scrambling, oh man, oh, offering plate, ooh. Yeah, what do I give? What do I throw in? What do I throw in? What do I have? What do I have? It's basically saying systematically, intentionally. I mean, build Christ's church. You have the privilege of doing it. You, you should know. You should be setting something aside as God has given it to you. It should be proportionately. As he pr- may prosper, it says in, in 2 Corinthians 8.3, or according to your means, as he may prosper, I should say, in 1 Corinthians 16.2, or according to their means in 2 Corinthians 8.3. Basically this, Scripture tells us that God is the one who's going to bless you. You are to acknowledge that and, and give back a tithe. It's a 10%. And as your income goes up, so should your giving, proportionately. As it, if there's a time you're, you're not getting an income, don't give. It should be according to uh, uh, your means. Not circumstantially. In 2 Corinthians 8.12, the churches in Macedonia, in severe affliction and extreme poverty, they didn't let their circumstances get in the way of their generosity. God had done too much for them. It's not circumstantial. It should be done freely. On their own accord, 2 Corinthians 8, 3. 
or not reluctantly or under compulsion, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Freely, God has freely given to us. We're like, God, you love us. We're not trying to do this because we're trying to earn your love. It should be done eagerly. Incredibly, it says they were begging for the favor or the grace to give in 2 Corinthians 8, 4. Can you imagine that kind of offering? When are you going to pass out the plates? <laughs> Come on, I want to give to the kingdom. I want to give to the cause of Christ. They were giving corporately. In 2 Corinthians 8.4, this interesting verbiage here in the Greek, it says they were asking for the favor or the grace of taking part. That word taking part is the word koinonia. It's a word of fellowship. They realized that there was a fellowship of the church, that we have the privilege of doing that and giving together for what God has done and is going to do. They gave graciously, excelling in the act of grace also in 2 Corinthians 8.7. They gave lovingly. In 2 Corinthians 8, 8, to prove that it's genuine, they're compelled by love. They gave bountifully in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. They gave wholeheartedly uh, what they had decided in their heart, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And they gave cheerfully. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. And what God loves, he blesses. But before we leave these verses, there's something here that just made me stop in my tracks. And it's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says this, God's grace will abound to the cheerful giver so that we will have all sufficiency or at the word that sufficiency can be, um, we're contentment. All contentment or sufficiency in all things. You may, so that you may abound in every good work. Did you hear that? You know what Americans think? I'm going to give liberally so I get every good thing. So I get a bigger car, a bigger house, a prettier wife, uh, nicer kids. I don't know. But that's not what he says. He says, we are to give liberally so that we can liberally give back every good work. All right, church. All of us are called to respond to this one way or another. First of all, in order. And then in portion. First of all, do you realize the gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ? That's the most important thing. And if you realize that, have you opened that gift? Have you given yourself to the Lord, the head of the church? And if you have, by God's grace, or now are you giving to the church, the work of the church, your time, talent, and treasure? I gotta tell you, if you are not in the place where you've given yourself to the Lord, it's dangerous for you to give to the work of the Lord because you might think you're going to try to earn something. You might think that he now owes you. I'm going to tell you, if you haven't given yourself to the Lord, don't give to the Lord. It's dangerous. It's not what it's about. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. But if you have given yourself to the Lord, then your, your stuff is easy. I mean, if you're, if you're all in, man, I'm yours, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want? It's all yours anyway. And then you have to negotiate. I mean, his word's pretty clear about some specifics. But if you're, if you're wrestling with how much and how little, I'm telling you, you got a heart problem. And the reality is, if you're all in, you'll say, God, it's all yours. What do you want? It's, what, do you, what do you choose to use? To, I know you don't need anything. You know, I'm so honored that the chief wants to be in uniform. I'm a little bit embarrassed, I gotta tell you. But I'm gonna be part of the family. I'm really looking forward to that. Jesus has provided for you to be a part of the uniform.
part of the family, to reflect who he is, washed in his blood, robed in his righteousness. And he says, I've given everything for you to be a part of the family. Will you give yourself to me? Let us pray. Father, thanks for giving first. Thanks for giving most. Thanks for giving all. And thank you that you don't want us to try to manipulate you by what we give and what we do, but you want us to respond to what you've freely done and given for us. What a great God. What an amazing Savior. We ask, God, that you would, you would remind us. And God, if there's one person here this morning who hasn't opened up the most incredible gift of your son, that today would be the day. That today they'd realize, let me surrender my life to the one who surrendered his life for me so that I could be forgiven and free and never abandoned. And God, I I pray that uh, for the rest of us, that it wouldn't be about tits and tats of what do we got to do, this and that. It would be really about our whole life is yours. And whatever you can choose to use to advance your kingdom, would you do it? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we close this morning. We're going to do what we've done the last couple of uh, weeks throughout this entire series, actually. We're going to sing a song, but we're also going to respond and read the Apostles' Creed together. Why do we do this? Well, we wanted to remind ourselves the entire time through this series on the church, who are we as a church and what is it we believe? What is it that has united us through the centuries? Now, some of you are astute to know that we've given you two translations. We've given you one that says that Jesus descended into hell, and we've given you one that didn't. I want you to know in the very first original Apostles' Creed, it didn't say that. It came later. There is some confusion of what does it really mean that Jesus descended into hell. I know this for sure. Jesus experienced the hell of being separated from his father on the cross. I know this for sure, that he was with the thief on the cross that day in paradise. I know for sure that his body remained in the tomb for three days. I know that Peter talks about him descending and proclaiming victory. Um, I think it's different than that he was in hell. Um, And there's some confusion. So we really have given you both with descending into hell. I know experience in the cross and without. All right, we're going to do it with him descending today. Secondly, lastly, we will say in there that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And many people think, oh, the Roman Catholic Church. That's not what we're saying is our allegiance. We are saying holy, separate, called out, Catholic, meaning universal. So when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying there's one church, not just Orangewood. It's everybody who's put, by God's grace, their saving faith in Jesus, or Jesus coming from Abraham all the way through the end of time. That's us. That's the Holy Catholic. Uh, yeah, the Holy Catholic Church. So that's the Apostles' Creed a little bit more. That's why we're doing it. Um, and now let's stand together. And let me ask you, Church of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those whom Jesus gave all to you, what is it you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, 
He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.